Lord, thank you for your presence. I'm so grateful for your mercy in my life today, Lord. I'm reminded of the miracle you've done in my heart. When I think about all that you've done for me, Lord, I just want to say thank you that I love you, God. Thank you for choosing to love me when I was at my worst. And Lord, thank you for doing above and beyond what I even thought or imagined you could do. Because that's the kind of God you are, Lord. I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you, God, that the Spirit of God is speaking to us. God, I pray you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying in these days we are living, Lord. I pray you'd give us hearts that would respond to you, Lord. I pray, oh God, you would accomplish in us today what you desire to accomplish in us, Lord. Only you can do that, and I'm asking God for your aid. I'm asking for the Holy Spirit to work in us the things of God, the things that you desire to do, Lord. So I thank you, God, and I want to yield myself to you today, Lord. I want to ask you, God, to just have your way to speak to us. So I thank you, Lord, and I love you. And I honor you, Lord. And I pray that you would be the central focus, Lord, of what we look at today. Because in you is all vested authority. And only your words matter, Jesus. So God, speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name. Okay, we're going to be continuing on in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm just going to do a little kind of recap just so uh, we understand where we're at. And there's kind of a transition today I want to emphasize. So I'm going to read uh, Matthew 5. I'm going to start in verse 1. Just kind of read through what we've been already looking at. Matthew 5. Verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, and he now describes seven qualities of what a Christian looks like. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I skipped over one, sorry. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. I'm going to read this one again because it's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And I'd like to say, know God. They will know God as he is. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then we see how the world reacts to people who have these qualities. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you're reviled and they persecute you. They say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice. Be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Expect this. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all those who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And last week we looked at these verses. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So now here in verse 20, we have a transition. And really, the rest of the whole sermon is going to kind of drive this point home. And you'll see what I'm talking about. Verse 20, for I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What is Jesus saying here? He's talking about something that the Pharisees, the teacher, teachers of his day, neglected. They taught the law, and they even made it into something it was never meant to be. They made it about rules and regulations, and they even added traditions to it. And they had neglected the most important thing, God's intention for the law. They neglected the spirit of the law. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees. In other words, their interpretation of it, their view, what they have taught you, how they live their lives. So Jesus now is going to bring to bear what God looks at. And that's what I'm going to call the message today. God looks at the heart. That's where he's going. That's where Jesus went whenever he talked to somebody. Because it was the heart, or it's your heart, it's my heart God's after. He was after the children of Israel's hearts. What am I talking about? Relationship. That's the intent of the gospel to restore, to reconcile, to bring us in relationship with God. To bring us in union with God so that we might know Him. So that His Holy Spirit can come and dwell in us and make us alive to God. That we might know Him again. That's the power of the gospel. So really, what Jesus is doing here, he's showing them the true teaching of the law. Over, again, the false representation that was made by the Pharisees and the scribes, by their traditions and their outward rules. In the next verse we're going to be looking at, verse 21, Jesus says, You have heard, and we're going to hear that many times. In the rest of the sermon, you have heard. In other words, what the Pharisees and scribes, what your teachers have been teaching you, what you've been listening to, is not what I'm going to say to you. Because he says, but I'm going to say to you. And that is like, one of the most vital statements in the whole sermon when Jesus says, but I say to you. Because first of all, we got to understand who's saying this. Is it just another teacher of the law? Is it just some man, a prophet? It's God. 
It's the Son of God speaking. It's God Himself. And we see that when He finished the Sermon on the Mount in in, uh, chapter 7, when He had concluded the whole sermon, it says, the people were astonished at His teaching. For He taught them as one having authority, not like what they were used to hearing. There was something different. And he still speaks with that divine authority today. Jesus was showing them, and he's showing us, the true meaning of the law. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So again, they were missing the whole point of the law. They made it into something that God never intended it to be. Which is literally, you know, just focusing on outward things I do. But yet neglecting the weightier issues of the heart. And we're going to learn, we're going to see in the whole rest of this sermon that conformity to the law shouldn't be just in actions. But actually, it's about our thoughts. It's about our motives. It's about the desires we have in our hearts. In Mark 7, Jesus gave another illustration of this. And he's speaking, you know, to the Pharisees and some of the scribes, it says, came together to him. And having come from Jerusalem, um, it says in verse 2, now when they saw his disciples (laughs) eating bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. Like, they're not doing what we said they should do. They're not obeying the law. And the Pharisees and all the Jews, they said, do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't want to eat unless they wash And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels and couches. And then the Pharisees asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands? They're making a big deal about it to Jesus. And he said to them, because he loved them, Did not Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? That's not nice. (laughs) As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Their heart. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, laying aside The commandment of God. You hold the tradition of man, the washing of pitches and cups, many other such things as you do. I'm going to drop down now to verse 14. And then he called all the multitudes to himself. And he said, hear me, everyone. Understand this. There's nothing that enters a man from outside that can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then when he went away from the crowd, his disciples are like, Jesus, what are you talking about? And he said, Are you still without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Verse 19. Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach. It's eliminated, thus purifying all foods. He said what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, 
covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. And that's what defiles a man. God is looking at the heart. He's looking at your heart. He's looking at my heart. Another illustration would be the young rich ruler, right? We see it all over the Gospels. Jesus trying to help us understand what God is looking at and what he is desiring of us. The young rich ruler asked Jesus, what do I got to do, teacher, to inherit eternal life? Mark 10, 19, he says, you know the commandments, you know the law. Don't commit adultery, do not murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Don't defraud, honor your father and your mother. He said, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. (laughs) That's because he had learned an outward form of obedience, which he was probably taught from the Pharisees and scribes. So he thought pretty well of himself. Jesus saw something else, though. And because Jesus loved him, in verse 21, he looked at him and it says he loved him. He loved him. So the next time God puts his finger on something in your heart, it's because he loves you. He doesn't judge like we do a lot of the time. He does it because he loves us, and really he's not judging us. I mean, he is, but his desire is to separate the evil from the good. That's what judgment does, so that we can have the good, which is him. He loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven. In other words, your heart's full of covetousness. It's just oozing out of your heart. Your whole life displays it. But it says he was, oh, well, he goes on, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up your cross, and follow me. He was sad when he heard that. That's not what I wanted to hear. But Jesus loves you. So he's going to tell you what you don't want to hear sometimes. He was sad. It wasn't what he wanted to hear, but it's what he needed to hear. Again, because Jesus loved him. So Jesus was looking at the inside of the cup while he was looking at the outside of the cup. My outside is clean. Jesus essentially was saying, yeah, but inside it's like a sewer. It's filthy inside. Romans 2, Paul said this about a Jew. Again, trying to drive something home to people that made it all about the outward. Verse uh, Romans 2, tw- uh, verse 28. He is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, in the spirit. Whose praise isn't from men. It's not about how men see me and living my life so men will praise me. No, but from God. Because I live my life to please God. And I know He looks at my heart. He sees what other people don't see. And I want my inside world to be pleasing to Him. I want my thoughts 
to be pleasing to him. I want my desires to be pleasing to him because I love him. I was sitting here during worship remembering what God had delivered me from, a life of drugs and just horrible debauchery. And I was thinking about how I used to talk just in regular conversation, a curse word, every other word. And, and you know, it just like hit me like that was nothing for God to take that away. But to this day, he's showing me that really wasn't my problem. The problem was me. The problem was in my heart. Those were just signs that something was terribly wrong inside. I needed a radical change inside. I needed something to happen. And that's what the gospel does. When you truly encounter the true gospel, that's what God's after. That's what he promises us. He's going to change us inside. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit does. Again, God's looking at the heart. So let's look now at one example. There's going to be six examples in the remainder of this chapter. We're just going to look at one today. I realized as I was had 20 pages of notes, like, we'll be here for three hours. So I'm sparing you guys. I'm just going to look at one. Okay, verse 21. Here it is again. Now, you have heard, you have heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. Now, I want to make this clear. Jesus is not setting himself against the law of Moses. He's setting himself against their interpretation of it. He didn't come to destroy the law. He fulfilled it. He didn't come to do away with it. So he's not coming against the, the law of Moses. The problem was their interpretation of it. Exodus twenty thirteen speaks about you shall not murder. It literally meant taking the life of another with malice or with intention to murder him. And the Jews understood it as nothing more than that. But Jesus shows us it was also spiritual. And it was designed to extend to the thoughts, the feelings, as well as the external act. Remember the Apostle Paul? who I guess at one time in his life thought pretty well of himself because he kept the whole law. And then what did he say after he came to Christ? What did he realize when his eyes were opened? <laughs> oh, what a wretched man I am. Again, the rich young ruler, right? He thought he was doing pretty good until Jesus looked at the inside of the cup. But what about like the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? That's what that's like, you know. I'm standing, I'm at the temple, and I'm thanking God. You know, I pay my tithes, I go to church. I'm not like this guy who's obviously a sinner. But yet Jesus said, who went home justified? That guy did because he understood his black heart, and all he could do was, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He wasn't thanking God how good he was. Verse 22, but I say to you, who's ever angry? In other words, someone injures you and you're angry. They do, someone does something, you're angry. That's what that means. Angry with his brother without a cause. And just so you know, um, a lot of commentators and really in the original without a cause isn't in there. <laughs> so you take that out and it's anything. Shall be danger and judgment. Whoever says to his brother, Raka, that's kind of like a disdain, like idiot. One, <laughs> one, one definition was um, like uh, junk brain. You know, you just, 
or whoever says, you fool. That is basically saying, you rebel. Shall be danger, hellfire. Ooh. Anger in the heart towards any human being, especially those we read in Ephesians, especially those of the household of faith, according to the Lord, is in danger. And it's the same as murdering somebody, according to God. It's the same thing. If I go and plunge a knife into someone and take their life, same thing. God's looking at the heart. You know, uh, I've had a lot of people come through this church, and I've had a lot of people come in my office and badmouth their old pastor. And I'll always ask them, have you talked to him? Oh, no. But they got a lot to say about him. And typically they're the ones that are leave here, and then I find out are talking about me. And what they don't realize is they're destroying people. They're destroying people's reputations. They're murdering them. So I always tell them, you need to go talk to your pastor. You need to go work it out. Because I know, I just know from the years, there's two sides going on here. There's two things going on here. We can destroy somebody. We can shake someone else's confidence in a person by speaking negatively or gossiping about them. It's terrible what we do to one another. Terrible. It grieves the heart of God. Again, Jesus said, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, and so on. When Jesus pronounced judgment, again, he did it as someone with authority. And I used to say this all the time when I went out speaking, and I say it to you today. People's opinions, my opinion, means absolutely nothing. All that matters is what did Jesus say? What does God say? So we better understand what He says. And we can't cherry pick and twist things and make it what we want. We have to read things in context. We have to take the whole counsel of God's Word when we're reading His Word. We can't gloss over things that we don't like. I shared that in another message. You know, we where we do the same thing the Pharisees did of their day. We make a system where we can adhere to some outward forms and things we do, you know, as Christians, but yet we avoid the weightier issues and, and basically said we're a form of godliness, you know, that outward thing we do doesn't alter the way we live. It doesn't change what's going inside. It allows people to live, do what they want, set their own standards, yet proclaim this is acceptable to God, just like the Pharisees were doing. And therefore it's godly, according to what we say. Very dangerous. You know, Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Hebrews 12 talks about God being a consuming fire. There's no question about this in Scripture. God hates evil. He hates sin. God's anger is displayed against it. His wrath will be poured out upon sin. Those that have not truly repented, the wrath of God just hangs over them until that day comes. 
That's why we got to run to Jesus. He's our only hope. And, you know, really, the holier we become in heart, the more we're going to hate sin the way God does. Not in other people, in our own hearts. Hate it. Grieve over it. So, you know, I'll ask you this question. Do we hate the sinful attitudes we see in our hearts? Do we understand the things we do or say come from within and that's what defiles us? I had to watch a video yesterday morning of myself with Teresa and my wife. We were training my dog. Teresa's helping us with the dog. And uh, as I watched the video, I got more grieved and more grieved and more grieved. And I was like talking to the camera, telling myself, stop it. I kept cutting her off, kept cutting my wife off. And it wasn't just, you know, stop doing that because I'm studying the Sermon on the Mount like for hours and hours and hours. It's like I'm seeing more and more like what's at the root of that. And I'm seeing more and more the pride and just the wickedness in my heart that's fueling that. And I'm like, God, help me. God, I, God, I repent. That's terrible. And it was just, and then I knew, like, I have to go and repent. And she was so gracious. Thank you. I got a lot of grace from Teresa. I get a lot of grace from my wife. I went to her this morning. I just, just studying this, I just hugged her. I said, I'm just sorry because I'm sorry. I'm just not right inside. And I thought about that. What if all of us, like, had a video of our day? And every night, we sat and watched the video. Now, forget about what we see outwardly. What about the video showed what's going on in your heart? And you, every day, every night, you got to watch all your interactions, all your thoughts, everything. What would that, you think that would affect you? Well, God sees it. It says the darkness is like light to him. And you saw it when Jesus was on the earth. He knew, it says, what was in men's hearts. It's an open book to him. We're oblivious most of the time unless the Holy Spirit, unless we're seeking God sincerely and the Holy Spirit's making things real to us, convicting us and showing us. And the whole, listen, the whole point isn't so that you go, oh, what a terrible person I am, oh, walking around. No, it's just so you can run to God and say, God, thank you. That was my heart. Thank you. I don't know what I would do without you. Thank you, I can repent. Thank you for the blood that cleanses this black heart. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, I believe you, God, because you promised me that your divine power has given me all things. For life and God that you promised me, I would become like you by your power and by the Holy Spirit. So I don't sit there soaking. I get up and I trust God. God, you're going to help me with this. And I want to repent to anyone else that I know I've done that to. And I said to Teresa, yeah, I know it's a New York thing. That doesn't excuse it. New Yorkers tend to be more that way. Yelling and, you know, we got to get our point across and yell over each other and cut us, cut each other off. It's wrong. It's a hard issue. So please forgive me if I've done that to you. I've probably done it to every one of you. And I'm grieved about it. And I'm determined to let God help me with it. All right, verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, 
Leave your gift there before you go to the altar and go your way. First be reconciled with your brother. Then come and offer your gift to me. That's something that's real to me. Especially when I know I'm coming to church or whatever. I, it's just something that's always been real to me. And that's why I knew I had to make things right. Oh, I had to repent to Adam too. And he was like, I don't want to go. Fucking no. Because I know I'm going to come in here. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And then something's not right. Or there's something between me and my wife or me and somebody else. I'm kidding myself. That's what he's saying. And, and then we think, well, well, because, you know, I'm doing certain things. It's going to cover up my moral failures, my heart issues. That was the problem with the Pharisee and the tax collector. Well, I do this. I, I do this. I do that. I do that. I'm not like this guy. You know, and he went to the house of God and he's going to go there and do his religious thing. And he's thinking I'm all good. And he went home unjustified. He wasn't right in the sight of God. Because God was looking at the heart. So there's a danger. Like them, like the Pharisees, we can avoid the weightier issues of the heart and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And we could say, after all, I'm worshiping God. I'm taking my gift to the altar. I'm doing this and that. I'm making great sacrifices. I'm engaged in Christian work. Yet the whole time we're facing jealousy. We're angry. Whatever else we might feel against another person or something or something in our personal life. And we think that the good works somehow are going to make up for the evil in our hearts. Does the Lord have great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Of course not. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Leave your gift. Run. Get right. Then come and bring your gift to the altar. Verse 25. Agree with your adversary quickly. While you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. And really, that's just, just come quickly into agreement with God. Don't defend yourself. Just agree. You're right, Lord. You're right. I repent. God, forgive me. No, but this, but that. I'm guilty. God, thank you for showing me this. Lord, I repent. I agree with you, Holy Spirit. Settle it at once, Jesus is saying. You might not be here tomorrow. You might stand before God tonight. So do it quickly. Because God's looking at your heart. He's not fooled by outward obedience. He's looking at the heart. And if the gospel is having its true effect in your life, it's going to be working in your heart. And we're going to see at the end of his whole sermon an illustration of that. Two houses. They both look the same, but one has a different foundation. And one, when winds, when tribulation comes, when the shaking comes... It crashes, it falls. Because it never really was in Christ. It may be professed, it may be looked like it outwardly, but nothing ever happened in the heart. And that's what the gospel does. So, just some questions we should be asking ourselves. Maybe as we're going through this whole Sermon on the Mount, and I would encourage you to read this over and over and over and over again. Just ask yourself, what, what is my relationship with God? Do I know Him? Am I pleasing Him? In other words, as you go to bed at night, maybe, 
Don't just ask yourself if you've committed murder or adultery or whether you've been guilty or this or that. And then you thank God that, you know, you did pretty good today. No, ask rather, has God been supreme in your life today? Have I lived to glorify and honor God today? Do I know Him better? Have I a zeal for His honor and glory? Has there been anything in me that's unlike Him? In my thoughts, my imaginations, my desires, my impulses. That's the way, in other words, you examine yourself in light of living, of a living person, not merely some mechanical code of rules and regulations. It's a person, Jesus. Now I'm going to finish with this because this is God's whole goal in this. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to condemn. This is the goal in the whole Sermon on the Mount. This is the whole goal in the Gospel. Jesus is saying all these things. You know why? Do you know why? He wants a relationship with you. And sin hinders that. Because that's what salvation is. Knowing Him. Being in fellowship with Him like we read. But if we're walking in darkness and the truth isn't in us, we can't have that fellowship. And that's what God wants. You can, if you want religion, you can have that. You want to go to church and follow rules and stop doing certain, go ahead. That's not what God wants. He wants a relationship. He wants you to know him. That's what he wants. That's the goal in all of this. The purpose of the law, it's not just to keep us in a state of obedience to some oppressive rules. It's to promote a free development of our spiritual character. It's to change us inside. The inward man. Blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God. They will know God. Hebrews 12.14 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Have fellowship with Him. Know Him. Again, that the ultimate objective in all His teachings is that you and I might come to know Him. If you read John 15, what's the whole purpose of that? that you might abide in me. Why am I telling you all these things? So that your joy is full. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's why. Not because I'm a hard taskmaster. Not because I just demand obedience. Although he does demand obedience. But it's out of love. It's, it's relational. It's because... He wants to be in a relationship. And he's holy. He can't be in a relationship with sin. Sin hinders the relationship. That's the whole point of God's discipline in our lives, right? Hebrews 12, the whole crux of Hebrews 12, right? Um, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons? My son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord or discourage when you're rebuked. You know, I got a good rebuking yesterday morning. But it's because I'm loved. That's why. For whom the Lord loves, he chases. He scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. What son is that? There, whom a father does not chasten. If you are without chasten, of which all have become partakers, you're illegitimate. You're not sons. How much readily should we be in subjection to the Father of spirits and, li uh, and live? Verse 11. No chastening seems joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And that's the process of sanctification. We should con continually be trained by God's discipline and God's work in our lives 
changing us more and more and more. And we'll see that. So he says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down the feeble knees. You know, that's how we feel. (laughs) Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all peoples and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. It finishes this chapter with comparing when God spoke on the mountain in the Old Testament through the law versus when he spoke to Jesus. And it basically is like, it's more heavy when you refuse Jesus. But I say to you, we like to somehow like separate the Old Testament and new and, and make it like, oh, it's all good now. And it is because Jesus did what we couldn't do, but it doesn't lessen. It actually raises it as we're seeing because now it's not just about, it's about what's going on inside. Therefore, verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And it says before that, talking about God's voice when it shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And that will culminate in what Jesus is talking about at the end of Matthew 7. So really, there's no point in all of this if it's not bringing us into a deeper intimacy with God, which is ultimately what he wants. And it'll, we're going to finish the whole thing with this. Hopefully, like I said, you won't go through this feeling condemned or like, I'll never make it, but it will produce in you faith to believe God to give you what you don't have in yourself. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. What does Hebrews 4 tell us? We have a high priest that sympathizes with our weak. He understands, guys. Again, he's not like, okay, do you see? You see what you're like, Jeff? Okay, now just wallow in that for a while. No, he wants me to see it so I can repent, remove the barrier any barriers between me and him, and then he wants to give me what I don't have in myself. So he's basically saying, okay, pick yourself up. I understand. I sympathize with you. I went through everything you go through. I faced it all. I didn't sin because he did what we can't do. And my throne is a throne of grace. That means if I'm repenting, I get the smiling face of God that says, you're welcome. Yeah, I know what you're like, but you're welcome here because you understand. So come. Let me give you what you don't have in yourself. Let me give you grace and mercy. Hallelujah. And we just keep going and going and going and going. And the more you do that, the more thankful, the more you love him. Because you realize, if it wasn't for him, there'd be no hope for me. But praise God. Lord, I thank you today. You're making this more and more real to me. Thank you for showing me the things I need to see. But I thank you, you don't just leave me there. You've made a way for me to be cleansed. So all the things that would hinder you can be removed, Lord. You've made a way so that your spirit, your Holy Spirit, can come and dwell in me. That I am being sanctified, changed inside. Being made more and more into your image. Hallelujah. And I pray for all of us this morning, Lord. 
We wouldn't be afraid to face the music, as it were. (laughs) To allow your truth to do in our inner parts what is necessary. Because we understand who it is that's speaking that truth. And that you speak the truth in love. And that's my heart this morning. I speak the truth in love. Because you want us to know your love. Just like you told us in John 15. I'm not telling you these things to lay some heavy burden on you. I'm telling you because I want you to abide in my love. I want your joy to be full. So God, help us to respond to the Holy Spirit. To respond to the living Word of God that is able to discern those things in our hearts that we can't see. And Lord, help us to come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens, who did what we couldn't do, who sympathized, who has grace and mercy for us. Lord, so I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord. Maybe you've put your finger on something. Maybe something's come to mind for them. Lord, first and foremost, grant them repentance, but also, Lord, I pray you would encourage them to obey you, to go, do whatever is necessary to make things right, and then to trust you, Lord, to give them what they need from you, Lord, and that they would find the joy in your presence, Lord, that a repentant sinner finds, Lord. So, God, I pray for all of us, Lord, that as we're going through this sermon, Lord, you would produce inside of us what you're wanting, that we would come into a greater intimacy with you, Lord, that you would remove all the barriers, things we don't even understand that maybe are hindering the fullness of what you want to do in us and through us, Lord. I'm believing you for that, God. And I'm trusting you for above and beyond answer to these prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.